Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. This hour, learn to be relentlessly resilient. The ability to vicariously feel the experience of others has been a healing process for me. Real life stories of people overcoming adversity and the challenges of life. Our hosts are Jenny Taylor and Michelle Scharf on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome to a special Relentlessly Resilient Conference edition. I am your host, Michelle Sharp. And I am your host, Jenny Taylor. Even though we live in challenging times, we can become relentlessly resilient as we lean on and learn from one another's experiences. Each week, we visit with others who are enduring challenges and let them teach us how they are exercising resiliency, finding value in their grief, and purpose in moving forward. We are excited to have this opportunity to share with you today some of these uplifting stories, and to start it off with our own, the story of how we met. I met Jenny through unfortunate circumstance. I actually was a friend with Brent Taylor in a private Facebook group. He and I had never actually met personally. I would share parts of my journey of losing my husband. My husband was diagnosed with cancer and it was terminal. There was no treatment his end would come soon. The night before my husband's funeral, Brent Taylor reached out to me and sent me some tender words. In fact, I'm just going to read them to you. Hi, Michelle. Although we don't know each other well, we are friends and always support each other. I have been watching all your beautiful and heartbreaking posts about John's passing and wishing there was something I could do to show my support for you and your family. I did not know John, but can tell from what everyone has posted that he was a great man and a friend to all. As I am in Afghanistan, I won't be able to attend the celebration of life tomorrow, but wanted to do something from the other side of the world to honor your family and his memory. This morning, I climbed to the top of Garabgar Mountain in Afghanistan and flew a U.S. flag from the peak in John's memory. Attached is a picture at the peak. I will mail the flag to your family. I wish you and your family healing and love tomorrow at the celebration of life. God bless. Major Brent Taylor. This give, it was such a symbol of hope. It came at a time and in a way, John did not want to leave me. He kept saying over and over, I just don't know who's going to take care of you. And I kept trying to reassure him that I was capable and I would be okay And when that flag came, I felt like I had 
my back covered. I had protection that I had somebody out there in the world that would look after me. And it's funny because I didn't know, I obviously didn't know you Mm -hmm. before this happened. I certainly didn't know my husband would die shortly after yours, Mm -hmm. but it was that my husband's viewing that we met, but the flag didn't come into Mm -mm. conversation for another month or two. Right. I found it in my nightstand as I was cleaning things out because Brent had brought it home on leave with him in August. He was killed in November. Mm Mm-hmm. And he had intended to take it to you. Yeah. This would have been very shortly after you lost John. Yep. It would, I buried him on August 4th. I mean, this was barely after. And then, you know, he was only home for two weeks. Things got busy with the kids and family time, and we just didn't make it there. I vaguely remember him asking me, hey, here's this flag. Here's the situation with a, a friend. I need you to get this to her. I apologize. I didn't. Mm-hmm. And then before you know it, he's killed. And I find this flag a month or so later, and I reached out to you on Facebook with a picture of the box of the flag and letter I had found. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think this belongs to you. And that was the beginning of our beautiful friendship. I was also heartbroken, I have to say, selfishly so. I mean, I was very concerned for you and your family, but I felt that I had lost something in the moment that he died because I had never received the flag. Right. The beautiful offer had been made, made, but you hadn't actually received it. Yeah. And the photo we're referring to, for those of you who haven't seen it, we'll share it on our, our uh, social media pages, holding this beautiful flag and also holding in his hand a photo of your husband, John, that he printed with out. the flag that he printed in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan. He yeah. printed out the 8 by 10 photo of my, headshot. of my husband's obituary picture. Oh, is that what it That's was? That's where he got it from. I wondered where I he found it. couldn't figure out. And then I realized that's, that's the, obituary. the obituary picture. So he has this flag yeah. that's this symbol of our nation's strength and healing and hope. And then you and I connected. Um, mm-hmm. And it wasn't long after that that you told me, hey, I got this idea. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't known you very long, but I'd known you long enough to go, whoa, what's Michelle up to? When she has an idea, there's no stopping mm-hmm. her. So <laughs> I came to you and I said, hey, I have this idea. I have met all of these amazing people with really hard stories all over the state, and they inspire me. And I know that you have this connection to military, and I would love to incorporate stories of military families that have lost their loved ones in service. And I think it would be so fun to do a podcast. And you said, sign me up. Yeah, like I said, I hadn't known you very long, but I known you long enough to not tell you no. And then it was through our mutual friend, Lee Lonsberry, who used to be here at at KSL News Radio. He connected us to our producer, Cheryl Worsley. It's almost like it was just so meant to be that it happened. It happened in the middle of the pandemic. We weren't able to have guests really in studio with us. We're recording you and I from 10 feet across the room and everybody's got a mask as we come and go with a guest joining from the phone. And yet we've created moments of connection where we've had guests come in and boldly and vulnerably share their story. And that's the journey we've been on now for for over a year. You know, Jenny, I the day that I found out that he died, I actually wrote Brent on Facebook Messenger a response. And I'm not going to share the whole thing, but I just want to close this segment by sharing. May God continuously bless and keep your sweet wife and guard your children daily. And I had no idea what when a role I wrote you that, would play in fulfilling that wish. I really hate that our husbands had to die, but I am really glad for the opportunity to know you, to spend this time with you, and to also give others the time and space to share their story. 
how powerful it's been to find the beauty from the ashes of our lives. That's why we're here today with this Relentlessly Resilient podcast, and I am excited for this special conference edition. I'm really excited. Let's get started. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Choose to wear rose-colored glasses. Download the Relentlessly Resilient podcast today. It's available wherever you find great podcasts and at kslpodcast.com. And we're excited to welcome back one of our guests from the show, Maurice Howard. All right, Maurice, thank you so much for joining us again. It's hard to believe it's been a year or more since we talked For those of our listeners who maybe haven't heard your full story, which I highly recommend they go back and find that episode, we will link it in the show notes. But Maurice, can you give us maybe a summary of the story you shared with us about you and your life and your marriage and everything with Curtis? We were high school sweethearts. We've known each other since we were 17. I got married really young, had our first baby. Curtis was 19 and I was 20. Uh, We just started out really, really young, which was probably a good thing because we ended up not having our whole lifetime to spend with each other. So I'm glad we did do those things really young. But uh, he had been a nine years in a row, the Golden Gloves boxing champion from the time he was nine. And um, he got to travel around the world with the Canadian Olympic boxing team. We, We are from Canada and we had a good life, you know, ups and downs. He was a hard worker. He started his own construction business that kept us busy. But when he was about 37, he started to deteriorate mentally. We knew something was wrong. We didn't know what it was. And it just escalated, got worse and worse. He became very violent, paranoid, and eventually took his own life at the age of 40. With um, me having to deal with that and four children that were shocked and had been struggling for and just our journey dealing with that and the healing that has come about and the love of our community and people helping us and I mean that's it in a nutshell. Maurice what I love so much about your willingness to share is is you've been really willing to open your heart and you've really kind of set the stage for what it is to be vulnerable in order to be resilient. I will admit after I did the podcast and got home I felt sick to my stomach. Like, what have I done? I've shared, you know, really, really personal information. I hope my kids aren't going to be upset. Like, and then the podcast aired and then the messages started coming in and the phone calls. And, and it was, it was a really emotional time for me 
the reason I I did it was hoping that I could help even just one family if they were going through it. And to find out afterwards that there are many, many, many families going through, not, not exactly the same story, some are very similar, but that are going through problems. And I was just surprised at how many people I knew how it helped empower them. I came to feel very thankful that I did it. And even now, thinking back and just, you know, I've just gone back and re-looked at some of the messages and things that I received. And I am so thankful that I, that I chose to do that. Can you share with us what some of those messages said, you know, without divulging anyone's name or personal information, what were some of the messages you received after being a guest on our podcast? The one that surprised me the most probably was family that was writing to me, like my husband's aunts and uncles, that they never heard the whole story. All they knew was that Kurt had killed himself and nothing else had ever been shared with them. And I had always assumed that someone in the family had told them the details and they were writing and telling me they had no idea. And so, you know, people were writing in and telling me experiences that they had had with him during that time that I knew nothing about. And that helped me to see it from his perspective a little more and to realize the pain that he had been in that I didn't realize the extent of it. That's powerful. I hadn't even thought of how this might help you get more of the story. I'm grateful to know that it has given you insight into his pain. We know he caused you a lot of pain and left a lot of broken pieces, but there's room for the compassion toward how much he struggled and how hard that would be not to ever excuse the behavior, but to try to understand and be empathetic. And I think you have beautifully illustrated that through your whole story. I I haven't once heard condemnation from you or judgment or or hatred, even in the mix of all of the hurt, but just how difficult it is when someone struggles this way to the point that they would want to end their own life. It's so much more complicated than a headline makes it sound. Yeah, definitely. And I have had struggles with those feelings of anger. I mean, that is a part of mourning. I just haven't, I've tried not to focus on that because I could easily get lost in that. Sure. And I love that you acknowledge that you felt it, but you're not going to fertilize it or, you know, not give that the time and the attention. And Maurice, that is so perfect because I think that's one of the main components of what we see in you as this powerful resilience. Resilience isn't pretending everything's fine and that you're never angry or hurt or worried or upset. Resilience is recognizing all of those emotions, even the dark, heavy ones, and choosing to overcome them. And choosing to put them in their place, feel them when you need to, address them, do not sweep them under the rug. That is not resilience. But can can you tell us, I would love to know, we asked you on the episode months and months ago, what does resilience mean to you? Can you answer that question now? I'd love to know how maybe your definition of resilience has changed after your experience, not just with sharing your story, but the response to your story. Probably the thing that has shocked me the most is I realized resilience is not just me, but it's, it's me, it's my family, it's my community, it's the people I let in, it's how we all love and support each other. It's not just one person, it's what I lean on, it's my faith. I actually had a lady that grew up in the same Canadian town that I did, and she now lives in Salt Lake. And she wrote me a message, and she said that she is a, um, a mental health counselor. Uh-huh. And she said, we sometimes 
feel so incredibly alone, and yet we are not alone. And that has just stuck in my mind because being resilient to me, I've learned, is not doing it alone. It is relying on the strength of other people to help you handle things in the best way you possibly can. That that actually is what resiliency is. It's being able to call around your support people around you, being able to say, this is what happened, being able to confront the thing that happened and being able to have support around you. That is part of the skills of resiliency, the tools of becoming stronger and being able to endure these hard things. When people are unable to say, I need help, that is when those people often get in a hard situation, much like probably, although Curtis had mental stuff on top of all of it, that's the scary place where people can get. Yeah. And I love what you've said. And I don't know if you even caught it, but I caught it and I wrote it down. So we're talking about how you can't be resilient in isolation. You've got to have people to support you and love and care and, and be part of this journey. But you said people you have let in to your life. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. and that, that I think is the key. It is. Wow. I think that that's the hard you, thing. You know, when you're on the other end of it, when you're the widow, when you're the one grieving, people will say, what can I do to help? But that question is so daunting for the one who is oh, yeah. really desperately in need of help. Yeah. I know that yeah. I found I it challenging. I can't answer that question. Yeah. I found it challenging. Like I can't open my mouth and even if I could see what needed to be done, the energy to speak the words just felt too heavy. I've grown. I've grown a lot to now see the beauty of letting people help, not in a selfish, greedy way, but it's like, Maurice, what you said, people are so desperate to help when something goes wrong. I would want to help. If, if I knew you in that time, in that neighborhood, in your community, I would have wanted to do your dishes, and I probably would have wanted them to be really, really, really messy so I could feel like I actually helped. But it's hard to be on that other side. I think it takes great strength. I do not see it as a weakness anymore. Some of the strongest courage I've had to have is either letting people help or asking for help because it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And we're talking about extreme situations too. In all like the, the letters that were sent to me after I did this podcast, I realized that a lot of the help that I can give others is just being a friend. You know, it doesn't have to be just doing someone's dishes. Maybe it's being aware of the people in our lives and the people around us. And that's powerful. It has been wonderful to learn from Maurice, especially the importance of being vulnerable and connecting with other people and how sharing our stories help each other. Now we're excited to hear from one of our guests who has also learned by listening to this show how to find connection and healing in his own grief journey. And we're going to hear his story next. This hour, learn to be relentlessly resilient. The ability to vicariously feel the experience of others has been a healing process for me. Real life stories of people overcoming adversity and the challenges of life. Our hosts are Jenny Taylor and Michelle Scharf on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Today we have a special guest with us, Ben Kaufman. Ben, I'm so excited to speak with you. We've only known each other on Facebook and we actually met through 
the Brent Taylor Foundation's book club. And that was only virtual. I mean, yeah. have, were we, have yeah. we ever met in the same room? I don't no. think so. Mm-mm. Then we've reached out to each other a couple times, and I was really excited to hear you share that our podcast has been helpful to you in your own grief journey. And so I wanted to have you on just to talk about that experience for you. So tell yeah. us about who you are and a little bit about you and how how this podcast has been beneficial for you. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. I think my story is unremarkable in the sense that, you know, others have gone through the loss of a parent before, but remarkable in the sense of the impact that it's had on my life. Um, And those who have lost a loved one can reflect that, you know, these experiences are life-changing and soul-stretching. On January 4th, 2021, my father died unexpectedly at age 65 of a heart attack. Uh, in the sleeper of his truck. He was unattended at the time and took us 24 hours to be notified of his passing. Um, But the circumstances around that event were as beautiful as they were tragic. I think we all go through these experiences where we lose a loved one, maybe especially in in retrospect, you think, huh, so many details of that experience were choreographed by, you know, divine powers that, you know, it can't explain it any other way. The, yeah. Uh, those things are just carefully controlled. I think the way that we get into this life and the way we leave this life, all of that has such beautiful choreography. And our experience with my dad was not different than that. That's well, a beautiful, really beautiful way to describe that, the yeah. choreography. We always want to know what did that grief journey start like and you're really kind of in the thick of your grief. This is all happening simultaneously. Uh, this isn't after the fact. Yeah, we all have our own ways, I think, of dealing with grief. But one of mine uh, has been to write. And I just, you know, writing is a form of reflection and soothing and revelation and, you know, many things that I think have been helpful. But so I've written down maybe more than more than I'll ever share <laughs> sure. about uh, about my own journey, but it's because it's been healing and the reflective process has been been helpful. I'd love to know, and this is maybe just a little bit um, curious on mine and Michelle's part. I think we would love to know. You started this by saying the podcast and the stories other guests of ours have shared has helped you on your grief journey. Can you elaborate with that? You know the the ability to vicariously feel. The experience of others has been a healing process for me. I think the scriptural advice to mourn with those that mourn certainly indicates that we're wired in a certain way to experience the grief that others are going through uh, in a way that's removed from our own, but connected, if that makes sense. And I think more than any specific story, the opportunity to log in, so to speak, every week and hear a grief story, not that they've all been grief stories, and feel vicariously those emotions has been in itself just healing for me. You know, it's not that I've been able to do anything necessarily for those people or help them in their journey, but their own reflections on where they've been, how they've overcome obstacles after loss, heartache, or disappointment have have helped me sense the strength that they're taking out of their hardship the purpose that they're finding in the aftermath of those events, and then incorporating those things into my own life. So can you tell us what it feels like to have lost that parent? I think I had a good friend who 
wrote me a note right after my dad died, and I'll just maybe read you what she wrote because I think she put it more beautifully than, than I could, but it really does describe the way I felt. She said, grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love you want to give but can't. All the unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, in the lump in your throat, and in that hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love in search of new methods of expression. Wow. (laughs) We're we're both both crying. crying. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, tell your friend that's beautiful. And can we share that? We're happy to give her all the credit in the world. I think that is so powerful. Um, I think I've heard a lot of people call grief love, Mm -hmm. but the way she continues that it's, it's the effort to try to find another way to continue expressing that love, not just feeling like that love is stopped or over or gone or lost. The grief is the fact that the love continues and the method of expression has to change. And I think that's why grief is a process, not a check the list and I'm done. I love that. All right, Ben. I'm going to ask you the question we ask everybody. Can you tell us, Ben, what resilience looks like to you and in your life? Okay. So I, I'm actually going to share an answer by another of my heroes, and then I'll build on it. And those that know me well will probably laugh. But uh, Michaela Schifrin, the Olympic skier, oh, yeah. I don't know if you've heard her story. But uh, she she lost her father uh, almost exactly a year before I did. Uh, oh, early I did not know that. Oh, my goodness. And she put together in the aftermath of her father dying a foundation, a resiliency foundation. She asked scores of athletes to opine on the same question almost that you ask at the end of every every episode, what does resilience mean to you? So there's lots of content out there. But her answer to me was really instructive and it was particularly helpful. But she said, to me, resilience is the ability to experience something really difficult, hardship, pain, struggle to experience that, and then to get to the other side of it, holding on to some form of strength or purpose. Whoa, that is so good. Wow. Not just to get to the other side of it and survive, but to get to the other side of it and pull some strength and some purpose. That is so powerful. That absolutely is almost the definition of resilience. Finding purpose and value in the hard thing, the struggle and yeah, and being stronger for it. I love that so much. It's yeah. perfect. I would add to that maybe just the resilience is as much the act of anticipating or harnessing the energy that we know is generated in times of crisis and then harnessing that energy for the purpose of doing good. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And and I think you're right. I, I'm going to acknowledge that and take total Um, ownership of the fact that we are taking the energy of some really hard things in our life and we are trying to turn them around for good. Well, and how awesome to think of harnessing horrible, awful, heavy energy in a positive, uplifting way. I've never thought, what if I harness that? What if I use that for positive forward movement? What if that same heaviness could propel me forward rather than just pull me down. I think that is absolutely what we hope that people who listen and share their journeys with us on this podcast can do. I know that's what I hope my children can learn to do in time. You know, they're still young. 
we're about three and a half years out from Brent's death now. And, you know, some of them are getting older. They're starting to make their own decisions. How great if we could harness that energy and that grief and that pain while finding a sense of purpose. I just think that is powerful, Ben. Moments like this, Ben, and you sharing what you've shared today, I think Michelle and I will say absolutely it's worth every it's worth every second. It's it is worth, worth every it. trigger. It's worth every anguish because we're yep. helping each other. And isn't that the beauty of what we want this resilience to be? Mourning with those that mourn. And, and you said some stories are grief. I think they're all grief. Even mm-hmm. if you haven't buried someone, the stories we're sharing are grief, a lost dream, a lost goal, a lost plan. It doesn't have to just be yep. a lost life. Yeah. And so grief can come in yep. so many ways. And we're mourning together and harnessing that energy together and moving forward together. Looking for purpose. Thank you so much for coming on today. We've appreciated having you on. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about some of the great lessons we have learned from the guests who have been willing to share their stories with us. I'm so excited about it. Choose to wear rose-colored glasses. Download the Relentlessly Resilient Podcast today. It's available wherever you find great podcasts and at kslpodcast.com. All right, Michelle, let's talk for a minute. We joke all the time that we should make t-shirts, which we've never made one, but we should because so many of our guests share these gems. (laughs) They share like these nuggets of, oh my gosh, when you put it that way, I I get it. These little one-liners. So let's play a game for a minute and let's share with each other and with our listeners, what are some of those top takeaway moments that we've had over the past year with our wonderful guests on the Relentlessly Resilient podcast? You want to start? Sure. Good friend of mine, Sue Duckworth, talked to us about dating and being scammed. Oh, that was terrible. Yeah. That was terrible. Be mad and get over it. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> I mean, how often do we just need to take that advice? Yeah. Oh, you, another friend of mine, Courtney Checkett, she's a young widow. I met her shortly after Brent was killed. Her husband was killed shortly before. And she talked about her husband, Rocky. Remember, he's the one that died in that hiking accident yep. in Moab. She's got these beautiful little girls. And she counseled us to face it head on before it gets too big. Yep. Tackle it head on, she said. And make it awesome. And make it Do awesome. Do you remember I that? Remember and she's that. Young. And make it awesome. I know. Tackle it and make no, it awesome. No, that was a total kick in the pants to me. Yeah. I, I was like, <laughs> you know, I failed at that initially. My grief story was a little rocky start, not really facing it. But listening to her, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. That was... I wish I, I had had the wherewithal. But, yeah. you know, it is what it is, right? Well, and I'll tell you how I got to know her. Courtney Checkett's, I was introduced to her through another of our guests, Jennifer Funk. Do you remember her? She yeah. is another widow. We've got a lot of widows in my life. Yeah. She's the widow whose husband was killed. Her husband, Brad, was killed in an Air Force accident, a training accident as a pilot. That was a and she gives story. the best. <sighs> she gives the best advice, though, to anyone facing loss. And she reminds us that people are idiots. That's what she says, which sounds kind of rude. But she elaborates that people are going to say stupid things, ignore the hurtful thing they said, and recognize they're trying to be helpful. And that was really good advice for me from the very get-go. Because people will say things that feel so offensive and so insensitive and dismissive of your pain and your grief. And you're like, oh, people are idiots. I remind myself, Jen said, people are idiots. Yeah. But I know they mean well. Yeah. And that gives me a place to receive what they said in a little kinder fashion than what idiot words actually came out of their mouths. And and I think it's really more like we all have the capacity to be the idiot. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, did you really just turn that right back around on me? Thanks, Michelle. That's a true friend. Well, That's a right, true friend. Right? No, yeah, but I mean, totally. we all have the capacity. So if we all remind ourselves right. about that, can then we, we can please give... please be a little the, more forgiving? We can give some grace. Oh, I love it. Jeff Smith, great friend of mine, overcoming physical and mental struggles of losing his eyesight oh, in his I 50s. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Choose to wear rose-colored glasses. Make it a choice. Not just see through rose color, but yeah. make it a choice to look through rose-colored glasses. And that was powerful for me because most people make rose-colored glasses sound like something that's very naive or weak or foolish. And he's saying, no, I choose that. I choose yeah. to see positivity. I choose to yep. see beauty. I choose to see things better than they actually are. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. Oh, what man. about Nicole Martin? She talks about oh, losing her Alzheimer's. mother to Alzheimer's, which yes, is close to me. So hard. I just last Friday buried my uncle who mm. passed away from it. Take more pictures. We all agree. All take agree. more pictures of the little things. Don't just oh. take portraits. Take more pictures of the everyday moments. You will treasure them when people are gone. I've got to tell this one. Coach Babe. How do you say his name? Babe. His <laughs> name's Babe John Kwasniak, but you just call him you just call him Babe. babe. Coach Quaz is what everybody calls him. He was the army captain from yeah. West Point. Yeah. Nobody beats the invisible enemy alone. But I love this one. Yeah. Nobody ever dies of too much love. Yeah. Remember, because he had tried to commit suicide, yeah. he tried to end his own life and people would be hesitant to love someone who's suicidal or to, to pamper someone struggling with mental illness. Like you're going to make them weaker. You're going to just baby them. And he said, no one has ever died from yeah, too, too much, much love. love. Yeah. I love that. It's a great reminder. But let's talk about that too. Just as no one's ever died from being loved too much, there's no right or wrong way to grieve. And I remember yep. it was my sweet sister-in-law. Oh, mm -hmm. it just makes me tear up to remember her miscarriages. And these are, it's more than one miscarriage and it's not a six or eight week pregnancy miscarriage, but later mm -hmm. on, and then the postpartum depression with her babies and, and then with the miscarriages. And she taught us very simple, very plain, very powerful. There is no yeah. wrong way to grieve. Yeah. Could we put that on every t-shirt and billboard? There's no wrong way to I grieve. Know. The way you're doing it to get you through it is the way you can do it to get you through it. No wrong way. Yeah. No wrong way. KSL's news radio's Amanda Dixon. Oh, one of our favorites since my oh childhood. My I love I that know. woman. Love her. I hear her voice and it's just like home. She just laughs in her, like her whole <laughs> voice is happiness, I think. I know. And she just has vibrant energy. Yes. It's just everywhere. I love it. You can feel hurt and love anyway. Mm. That is so profound. And I have found this so profound in my own journey just recently after she came on, I have been going through a big process of learning how to love myself. And I think that these apply all the way around. Sometimes we feel a lot of pain or somebody has caused us pain and it's easy to not want to give love or share love. Okay. You're making me think also, remember Jenny Howe? She's the one who's a mental health counselor and yes. she talked to us about that very thing, giving yourself grace when you fail. And we have to give each other grace when we fail. Just like you said, if we're all yep. idiots, that's awesome. Like, isn't it right. great? You're an idiot. I'm an idiot too. What if we helped each I other? Know. What if we gave ourselves the grace rather than the shame, rather than Which the irritation, rather than frustration? I have to say and acknowledge my boyfriend, Michael, who's not been on the show, but he has things. He's like, we're all flawed and we're all awesome. We're flossom. 
Flossum. And oh, I okay, it. that is such a dad joke. I love it. I love it. It's I a can... dad joke, and I love goofiness, and I I love it, and I'm owning that one. But think of everything we've We're talked flossum. about. Think of everything we've talked about Let's today. Let's get the Flossum shirts going. Let's get Flossum. It sounds like a dance. Isn't that the Floss? Now we could do the Flossum. Uh I'm okay. just flossum. Think about what we've talked about, not only for the past year, but today. We've talked about Ben, the importance of connection with his father. Remember older mm-hmm. on the importance of vulnerability, not just your own, but finding your place through hearing someone else's story. He spoke of the importance of writing and how healing that can be for him. You know, other people, mm-hmm. it might be music or dance or painting or hiking, but finding kind of that outlet. And then, of course, Maurice. We've loved having Maurice back on. Again, encourage everyone to go listen to her original episode. And it sounds like we'll have some future follow-up episodes. The importance of letting yourself let people help, letting yourself feel the difficulties that come, being willing to share even when it feels scary. I mean, she says it made her sick to her stomach. And being able to say, but it might help someone else. Is not that exactly what this podcast is about Take that pit in your stomach that has given you that darkness. Harness the energy in a way that helps someone else through their journey. I think Ben and Maurice have illustrated that so beautifully today. So beautifully. You know, Jen, I have to say that I have come to the place where when I was a doula, I held space for women to believe that they could give birth without medication if that was their choice. I held that space because I knew I could do it. I had the strength and I knew that. And after a year of this podcast and listening to the stories and having people share with us, I would say it goes back to mourning with those that mourn. And it's the capacity to understand that we, through what we've been through, we've gained strength and we have to hold that space that others are strong too. So that when we mourn with those that are mourning, it's not just being present for their sadness, but also to be able to inspire their strength. That is so beautiful. And I think it's the perfect note to end on as we ask all of our listeners to think about what does resilience mean to you? We ask every guest, you Mm -hmm. and I talk about it in and out of the studio. What does resilience mean to you? If you are listening, we would love for you to tell us. Email us, rrpodcast at ksl.com. Find us on Facebook or Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast. Tell us, what does resilience look like to you? We can't thank you enough for joining us on this journey for this past year plus, and we look forward to many episodes to come. We hope you're a part of one of them and that you're willing to share your story with us. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to all of our guests who have been brave enough to share their story. Thank you to our awesome producers, Kellyanne Halverson, Cheryl Worsley. Thank you to KSL News Radio for hosting us here and giving us a chance with this podcast among their great podcasts. And if you're listening and you want to hear this special again, find an extended edition on the KSL News Radio Conference Conversations podcast. Listen to Relentlessly Resilient podcasts regularly on your favorite platform at kslpodcast.com, kslnewsradio.com, KSL News Radio app. And remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their life. Have a great day. Take care, everybody. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. 
In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.